good to have uh, our guest with us this morning, um, Mr. Dave Duncan. Mr. Duncan, good to have you, you folks, and this is your daughter. It's good to have you with us, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Also, uh, Dustin Falstick. Dustin, where are you at here? Around here, Dustin is from Franklin College. Good to have you, Dustin. Appreciate your email to our website to get into our Sunday school class. Dustin said in on one of our Sunday school classes this morning, and uh, we appreciate very much his being with us this morning. Appreciate all of you coming, all the members of our church being faithful. Thank you for your coming today to the New Life Baptist Church. Let me ask you to open your Bible, if you haven't done so, to chapter 5 and look at one verse of Scripture. Usually we take a larger text. We're preaching through the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 5. And this is a book of the Bible that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, there's been a time in your life where you believed on Him personally, then this is a chapter that can add a great deal of security to your faith, and that is to give you the foundation for your belief system. Uh, your salvation is no stronger than its object. And in this case, this passage of Scripture really sets up the Lord and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the object of our faith. And it sets it in such cement terms that there is no doubt about the certainty of what we have in being saved, that we're going to heaven, and we're certain of that. And the reason we're certain is not because we're good and worthy and we ought to have that right, but because of what God through Christ has done for us. Salvation is not you doing something or me doing something. It is what God did through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, not whosoever keeps the commandments, whosoever gets baptized, whosoever gets confirmed, whoever acts like he ought to act, whoever never tells a lie. That's not what it says. God knew what we were when He saw us, when He found us, and when He created us. He knew exactly. Psalmist said He knows exactly that we're but dust. He knows that. The fact of the matter is, He made a plan that would work for every human being, no matter where they are. Wherever anybody is, they can be saved. Because it's not them, it's Christ. What Christ did for me, and my confidence, faith, trust in, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, I can be born again and be sure that when I die, as be sure I will die, I'll go to heaven. It is appointed unto man once to die. Everybody's got a casket somewhere. Everybody in this room. Yesterday I heard a story about a man killing what, nine people in his home and had the casket stacked in the corner. There's a casket for you. Maybe Hildebrand down in southern Indiana. It may be at, at, at Vandiver Tudor Funeral Home this morning or Tarsley, uh, Vandiver Parsley Funeral Home or, or Jerry Maguire's. But there's a casket somewhere or it's to be made somewhere and you'll be in it. And there's a piece of real estate we call grave and it'll be yours and mine barring the Lord's return. The fact of the matter is that uh, we need to be sure now. We need to live day by day with a certainty that when I do face death, to be absent from the body will be present with the Lord. And that only comes by what chapter 5 really is dealing with, and that, of course, is justification by faith. Look at verse 5. There's a lot of things we could read, but because of time, we need to direct our attention to verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. That hope is not the word hope in our English language. It's the word that carries with it the certainty. And certainty maketh not ashamed. And to understand what that's about, you'd read back to verse 3 and 4. But he says, and what I want to call your attention to is because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. If you've been justified by faith, you have the love of God in your heart. If you've not been justified by faith, you do not. That's why people who do not know the Lord, I personally think they ought not get married because personally I don't think they know what love is and I don't think they know how to love and I don't, know, I don't think they understand the ramifications of love. The only way people really understand love is when the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. When he does that, then you understand what love is. You don't get this competitive spirit between a man and his wife. You don't get this attitude that I'm better than you are in the public arena. We understand we are what we are by the grace of God, and we are what we are by the grace of God because God loved us enough to do what He did in our lives. So I'm not what I am this morning because I am a self-made man. I am what I am because of the grace of God and His love for me. And consequently, that's incorporated in this idea. But then the latter part of verse number 5 is that He shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. I want to speak to you today on this subject and that part of verse number 5. And the question in the message title is, So what that I have the Holy Spirit? So what 
that I have the Holy Spirit. Because that's what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says that the Holy Spirit of God, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God of very God in the person of the Holy Spirit, verse 5, is given unto me. If I've been justified by faith, and that's what verse 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, and then he lists all these things that are mine, that are, I have because of my justification by faith, because I have believed on Jesus Christ, and I am justified because of what he did, not because of what I'm trying to do. I am justified right now because Christ has finished this work. I'm not going to be justified. I might not be justified. I am at this moment justified because he's finished that work. And because he's finished that work, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. Verse 5, the Holy Ghost has been given unto me. And that means inside this body which you see but which you cannot perceive is the Holy Spirit of God. And he lives there. He abides there. And there's a great truth in this. I, I certainly can't leave this verse of Scripture and this passage of Scripture and just talk about the love of God without talking about the Holy Spirit of God because of the great importance He is in every single believer's life. For instance, I believe. I believe with all of my heart that the one of the very first things that is absolutely essential for any and every believer to live a full and effective and fruitful life is to know the Holy Spirit and to know what relationship that person or that person of the Holy Spirit has with you as a believer. Someone said it right, and I quote from them, though it did not give the author's name. He said, quote, he who does not know God the Holy Spirit cannot know God at all. And I believe that. I believe if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you don't know God. Because God the Holy Spirit is the connection between you and everything that God has for you. If you don't get it from Him, you don't get it. Because there, in the course of the message, you'll see he's the one who unlocks so many things for us that without his unlocking them, there is nothing for us. And I say to you, I am concerned that what happened with the Apostle Paul when he came to the book of Acts chapter 19 not happened to us. Listen, Acts 19, 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Verse 2, He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now I submit to you whether they are truly saved or not may be up for debate. Personally, it's not to me. I don't think they were saved people. But the fact of the matter is it may be up for debate, but too often the fact I draw from verses 1 and 2 of Acts 19 is simply that too many of our Bible churches have too few people aware of the great work of the Holy Spirit that He does for believers. We somehow just do not get that. Now I grant you, there are exceptions and there are extremes. Our charismatic churches, our charismatic friends tend to be almost obsessed with the Holy Spirit and His gifts and thereby great emphasis is laid up on a personal matter of having the gifts and exercising them in experience. And they pay so much, oh, so little attention to what I call objective Bible truth. On the other side, there's us Baptists. We Baptists tend to get caught up almost and totally ignoring the Holy Spirit to the point that we depend on Him almost none. None. I mean, there are folks in this room who didn't even know he lived this week. There are people in this room this week acted, behaved, and did what they did with the absolute ignoring of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of them. How can I tell? Well, first off, if you went anywhere that would offend God this week and you were not totally convicted of that, then you ignored the Spirit because the Spirit cannot live in you as a believer and you violate any principal truth of God's Word and the Holy Spirit not have excuse me, as we'd say in the South, a conniption fit. You see, the Spirit's not just going to sit by in residence of your heart and let you just go do everything you want to do, ungodly or otherwise, and Him just sit passively by and said, oh, well, they're not doing good, are they? That's not the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit would be, as it were, agitated and, as it were, moving and stirring and, and convicting. And if you didn't sense that, let me tell you what, it wasn't because what you did that was so sinfully wicked has been somehow stamped by the approval of heaven. It's rather that you ignored him. You heard him. He spoke. You just said, hey, isn't that, isn't that, a lot of people doing this. You just go on ignoring. 
but your life will be the reflection of the ignoring. And that's what's important about this. The Bible is crystal clear in its teaching that there is no aspect, no aspect of the Christian's life and the Christian's living that is not governed and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. To some of us, it may not be that we're so ignorant of His work or His role or His responsibility in our lives as much as it is it's simply that thing, the failure to appropriate and to permit, to allow Him to work in our hearts in controlling us and, it, as it were, to finish what the Father started. Let me take you to a few passages of Scripture. Quickly, look, if you would, it's at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 9 in that text. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. But as it is written, Paul writes, under inspiration of God, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And notice it says, to them that love him. Remember the Holy Spirit shed abroad in our hearts, what? The love of God. So many times through the scripture, the qualifying point of people who are really saved are those who really love God. And it is here, verse 9. Verse 10, but God hath revealed him unto us by his spirit. Note carefully. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things, verse 13, also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This passage of Scripture sets forth that there is a natural man and natural woman. People who are born one time. Born into this world, but born only once. They have never gone through the experience of which the Bible speaks of having a new birth or being born again. They've been born one time. And because they're born one time, excuse me, but they don't have a clue that God has something special for them that only the Holy Spirit of God can show them. Now this passage of Scripture many times, and if you remember when we preached through 1 Corinthians, we came to this passage. This passage is not talking about heaven. Oh, you could attach heaven to it. But that's not the context of 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Things that I have not seen, ear heard, nor either has it entered into the heart of man. We often say, well, that's talking about heaven. Oh, no, it's not. Contextually, it's talking about all the spiritual things that God has for you. And it is only the Holy Spirit of God that can lift them out of God's word and illuminate your heart so you'll understand all the things that God has for you. My conviction is that God has shown you everything about heaven. He's going to show you. He is not going to give you any more about heaven. Because heaven is at the end of the journey. It's the journey that we need to focus our attention on. And we need to get our hearts set on this idea that there's something here for me to do. I'm not just walking home with no purpose. i got a purpose. And the Holy Spirit is to draw from God's Word the purposes of my very presence here on this earth and direct my steps and direct my life under His auspices so that I will certainly, certainly accommodate His will for my life until I walk into heaven someday. This passage of Scripture also does something else. Take you to another passage, New Testament, fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, the great chapter about Nicodemus great chapter and I love it yet even though I've been saved many years I love to read John 3 let me read the first seven verses and you listen carefully John chapter 3 verse 1 there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews the same came to Jesus by night said unto him rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him Jesus by the way did you notice that God be with him if you're a believer, God be with you too. So they recognized something in this teacher that they knew only could happen with people with whom God was. Shouldn't our society recognize something in us that you got something that only God could give you? I think so. 
There's no difference between what Nicodemus and what God was, what Nicodemus was saying about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's saying about us. We have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can it be that he grows up, gets old, and he be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb, be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. You get it? Unless he is born of the Word and Spirit, unless he's born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That, verse 6 says, which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. This passage of Scripture in John chapter 3 is a corollary passage from that of 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking about the natural man over there. And the natural man can't receive the things of God. Here you have a natural man. John chapter 3, first seven verses. Nicodemus can't understand a thing of what God is talking about through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. You try and tell me that you have to somehow be born a second time? Our Lord looks at him, as it were, straight in the face, and he says, you must be born of the Spirit to understand, to see, to enter the kingdom of God. You'll never get it unless you're born again. And that's why the world at large has no clue about the Holy Spirit. That's why the world at large has no understanding of the Holy Scriptures, because this is God's Word, and there's only one person who interprets it. It's not the pastor of the New Life Baptist Church. He only gets it from the Holy Spirit that gave it to us. And consequently, my friend, the most or major part of the work of which the Holy Spirit is engaged is bringing men out of darkness into light. And it's the Holy Spirit who opens the door and turns on the light and says, this is what God said, now get it and get it good. And He'll direct your steps for as long as you live. Let me call your attention to another passage. This one is also in John, but it's several passages later. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16, the fourth gospel, chapter 16, verse 6, or verse 7, excuse me. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, by the way, John 16 tells us that elsewhere in that chapter. The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, Jesus said, I will send him unto you. Verse 8. When he has come, he will. The word reprove is a word we sometimes translate convict. He will reprove or he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Much of the Holy Spirit's work to those folks who are outside of Jesus Christ. If you're here in this service, you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. What's interesting about this, this passage of Scripture says the Holy Spirit's relationship to you is to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of righteousness because the righteousness that you have to have, you have to have to get into heaven comes only from the Lord Jesus Christ giving it to you by faith. Not earning it by works, receiving it by his gift. And thirdly, if you reject both, you stand before God in judgment and you will be someday cast into the lake of fire, the final judgment for lost mankind. So this passage of Scripture says that the Holy Spirit's involved in that. Well, what is this business of conviction? The Bible would tell us and indicate through many references of words that are similar. It's to challenge the state of the heart to believe and embrace certain facts that God has ordained. That's conviction. When the truth of God's Word is put to forth and someone embraces or hears it, then that's conviction. Our hearts are stirred by that truth. And, and we see the personal relationship I have to that truth. Conversion is my response to it. Conviction of it is just to say that I've got a problem. God has seen it. God has, as it were, diagnosed it. But conversion is when I respond in faith to say, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. And Christ is the only hope I've got. And right here, right now, I place my faith in his finished work. And it's that moment you're converted. You're saved. You're born again. You're John chapter 3, born again. That's what the Bible teaches, and it teaches it succinctly. You see, when you read the Scriptures, the first thing you'll run into is the first reference to the Holy Spirit's work is in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. 
The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now listen, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Father God was there. The God Son, Jesus, was there. And out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, they created the substance, the universe, the matter of which this thing is made of. And then the Holy Spirit somehow picked up and took it from there. He moved upon the face of the deep. And the Bible says that that word, the Hebrew word for moved is, it's translated hovered. It's translated some places in, in outside reading of the Bible, gyrated. And in some places in the Bible, fluttered. And sometimes outside the Bible, energized. What I'm saying to you is I believe that the Holy Spirit had a vital part in the creation of this world. And that vital part was I believe he energized it. I believe personally all the force fields and all the electric work that's in this system. I believe the Holy Spirit's the one who put it there. And I believe he put it there when he moved upon the face of the deep. But that's just the creation of the world. There's much more. Uh, in our Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, listen. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy or the Word of God came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they, watch it, were moved by the Holy Ghost. We not only have a world because the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, but we have, my friend, an inspired, infallible, inerrant Bible because the Holy Spirit did His work. He inspired holy men of God. They were moved as the Holy Spirit spoke to them and worked in their hearts. And these men sat down and wrote down what God the Holy Spirit wanted them to record. We have a Bible because the Holy Spirit was a faithful advocate of that. That's not all. Though we've already spoken of it, the Holy Spirit also worked not only in creation and not only in inspiration, give us the Bible, but also in regeneration, what we read in John chapter 3. You see, those are three major facets of the work the Holy Spirit did. Creation of the world, inspiration of the word, regeneration of the lost. But that's just what he did as an overview. Our Bibles and our text of Scripture, we not even come to what he did for believers. And more did he ever do something for us. There is so much that he did. From Romans chapter 5, which indicates and introduces us to the fact, been given unto us, that is the love of God, been given unto us by the Holy Ghost which is given to you and me. Every person in this room who's been saved by the grace of God has received the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy God of heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells you. Indwells you. You ought to think about that, and you ought to think about it a long time. When you go home today, you ought to think about the most prestigious guest you could ever invite to your residence and how you would treat them. And then you ought to live every day of your life knowing that you have the most prestigious guest always with you if you know Christ. Romans chapter 8, listen carefully to this passage. Romans chapter 8, and it is a chapter when we get to Romans 8 on the Holy Spirit, so we'll not take a lot of detailed things, but a few references. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Romans 8, 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Did you read that? If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. There are several things, those three simple verses about the flesh and the Spirit and God and Christ and the Holy Spirit establish. When you read the Scriptures, you ought to let the Scriptures establish what they will. Here's some things those verses establish. First off, they establish that the Holy Spirit is God. That's very obvious from the text. The Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer is God, a very God. As much God as Jesus Christ who died on the cross was God. 
as much God as the Father in heaven to whom so many people pray that prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God of very God there. God of very God who dwells here in the person of the Holy Spirit. No difference in being God. Equal in that status. Interesting, in this text, it also establishes something else. That the Holy Spirit, which is God, represents in us Jesus Christ. Did you see that in the text? He says in this passage of Scripture, verse number 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, when we talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory... We're talking about that being represented by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents the Lord Jesus Christ in you. And my friend, that's your hope of glory. Your hope of glory is nowhere near trying to live a good, perfect, sinless, pure life. Your hope of glory is having Jesus Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you all the time. That's your only hope of getting to heaven. I guarantee you, you will not get to heaven if you think for a half a heartbeat that you've got to work and labor and keep up and keep on and hold out and hold on. You'll never make it. You have to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who did a work on the cross and He finished that work. He died for our sins. He was buried and the Father sanctified, accepted, as it were stamped with His approval by raising Him from the dead three days later. And He said, it's a done deal. Anybody? Everybody who places their faith in my son in his finished work, will be accepted with the Father. And if you want to be acceptable to the Father, approved by the Father, then you have to have possession of the Son, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this passage of Scripture goes on. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1 says, Very simply, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of His glory. First off, verse 13 talks about trusting. And that's what it is. We preach a sermon from God's Word. We tell you Christ died for you on the cross. Christ was buried for you. And Christ rose again for you. And this morning is seated at the right hand of the Father for you. The issue is, and the issue on the table, do you believe that, the gospel? Do you believe Christ died for... Do I believe I'm a sinner? Do I believe Christ died for sinners? Do I believe that Christ was risen from the dead and Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father? Do I believe He's alive? Every Sunday morning when I stand in this pulpit, I am keenly aware that ours is the only faith, only religion in the world that serves a risen Savior. And that's why that plaque at the front of this thing makes the pulpit preaching so much easier. I stand on the authority that He is risen from the dead. He is alive, and He's alive forevermore. And my salvation is totally, absolutely, and essentially dependent upon Him being alive. If He's not alive, I have been had. Thank God He is alive. And He is seated even at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those of us who do believe. Huh, not those who are trying not those folks who are just beating themselves to death, climbing up steps in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Not some folks who are cutting themselves in Iraq to think they can appease their God. No, no, no. Those who believe simply take God at His word. He said it. You believe it. That settles it. No beating. No climbing steps. No praying beads. No doing anything else. Just believing Him. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, trusting, having trusted him. But the second part of this whole thing is this. He talks about those who have trusted. Here's the good news. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And let me tell you something. Whatever he seals stays sealed. There's no unsealing. You'll not go through the Bible anywhere at any point, at any passage, under any period, and say, oh, they are unsealed right here. Oh, no, they're not. What God does, He does eternally. And He did this well. But He made, did, he made something so we who are not so smart could figure it out. You see in the same verse, in verse number 14, it says, which is, He's talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the earnest of our inheritance. We know what earnest money is. When you give somebody earnest money, you're, they're, they're saying, look, this is just a small token toward the, the finished payment, toward getting possession of what I've come after. The Holy Spirit, in God's perspective, not mine, 
saying he's an earnest of the finalized possession that you'll have someday. He's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit for several reasons to certainly help you as believers with a whole list of things he's going to do for you. But one thing he'll do for you is that since you have the Holy Spirit, you have my word on it that you're going to get home to heaven. One day you're going to be there. And I don't give my Holy Spirit to people and then take him back. So if you have him, he is an earnest toward a finished possession. That ought to encourage your heart. I ought to know that I have the Holy Spirit in me and it's God's way of saying, I promise you I'll get you home. I don't care how hard the journey, I don't care how difficult it will be to get there, I will get you there. I promise that and I've given you my Holy Spirit as a commitment to that end. Look at another passage in Romans 8. This one's down in the verses further. It's Romans chapter 8 verse number 26 and 27. Romans 28, 26 and 27 simply says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be heard. I want to call your attention to that because we talk so much around the New Life Baptist Church about prayer. Prayer. What we sometimes don't understand is that the Holy Spirit has a vital part in our prayer life. He helpeth our prayer life, if you please, to make it what it ought be so we get from the Father what we need and what he desires to give. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, that's for sure. And one of our infirmities is this failure in real, sincere, genuine praying. And this passage of Scripture is so vital because the Holy Spirit is in us to finish what God the Father started. And part of that finishing is that we have His constant supply of help. And sometimes we come to a prayer meeting and we say, I don't know what to pray for about this. And the Holy Spirit is there to prompt us to say, here's how you pray about that. How many times I've come to Wednesday night and we've listed all the people, Brother John Macbeth, who leads our, reads our prayer list. And as we're going down the list, I often will say to myself, how should we pray about that? What should we ask God to do in that set of circumstances? And often as if to breathe a prayer, Lord, help us to know. Help us as a church to know how to pray for these people. May I tell you today that the Holy Spirit wants to do just that? He wants to help us to pray for the right things. He wants us to get from the Father what the Father wants to give us. And He's here to help us. That's part of His ministry. There's several things, but let me, let me call your attention to something else. Part of this business of finishing what the Father started. You remember Paul said to us in Philippians, He who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, part of the work is the Holy Spirit is to help to accomplish what God the Father set out to do. And I mentioned that to mention this. The Bible talks about the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. If you were a Nazarene and you heard sanctification, you'd, you'd be on shouting ground. That's a big deal with a, with a Nazarene brethren. My family has, my family, the Henry family, has some folks in Tennessee who are Nazarene. Sanctification is a big deal with a Nazarene brethren. For Baptists, it's not a big deal. You know, we just sort of accept it along with all the other subject matter in the New Testament. But here's the catch. Sanctification is an important matter in if you understand the fact of what it's about. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit's work using God's Word in the process of setting me apart for God's glory and setting me apart for God's service. When I understand that that's what sanctification is all about, then many passages make a lot more sense. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica this. He said, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to do a sanctifying work in your life. If you thought you'd just get on the... Christian train that was heading toward heaven and you just get on, take a seat, eat snacks and get home one day, you mighty badly mistaken. His work is to change you from glory to glory. From one level of spirituality to another one. To take things out of your life that are going to hinder your spiritual successes and accomplishments and the things of what God set out to do in your life, He wants it to be fulfilled, completed and accomplished to total. And the Holy Spirit of God says, I'm here to make sure it happens. And so he sets out with the ideal of sanctification, to set you apart, to work in your life. Here's what Paul wrote in a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Your body is a habitation of God 
through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. That's where we get the passages. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's the catch. Here's the catch. The work of sanctification is to say to you, if you want me to live here and you want me to be comfortable here, then you're going to have to allow me to set you apart so I can. That means taking some things out of your life that offend me, the Holy Spirit says. Some things you do, some places you go, some words you use, some things you see on television. And Brother Brian said it right this morning, and I've been thinking about it all week and talking to my wife about it. You see, in this country, there is so much of what we've lost in innocence. Anytime you lose innocence, you never get it back. Never. When our young people in this room and out of this room in junior church downstairs, if any of our kids see things that at their young age they ought not see and prompts them into thoughts they should not have, they'll never get that stage of innocence back. They've lost it forever. They start asking questions. They start investigating. They start wanting to know more. And the next thing you know, you're on a journey that leads nowhere but down. And that's why innocence is a sweet and precious thing and you ought not give it away too early and every parent in this room ought to be held accountable before God Almighty for what you let come into your television, on your VCR, and on your radio. Because once your kids have lost that innocence, they'll never get it back. And it'll be your fault, your responsibility. You can't shirk it and you can't hide from it and stick your head in the sand and say, ah, well, they're just what everybody's doing. I don't care what everybody else is doing. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in everybody else. He lives in us who know Christ. And we're responsible, and we should be aware of the fact that the devil is out there trying to get our kids. He's trying to get our homes. He's trying to get our churches. And he's going to do everything in his power to drag us into the muck and the mire and the sewer of this world. But the Holy Spirit is here to say, look, draw a line of sand, and I'm going to help you stay away from it. I'm going to help you be set apart. I'm going to help you be distinctively different. But you're going to have to follow my directive. And I want you to know I'm not comfortable in every kind of setting and circumstance and so forth. For me to be comfortable, you have to be holy. Don't ever forget, he would say to us, I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm not just a spirit. I'm the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. I'm the spirit that was present when there were men killed because they went into the Holy of Holies in an ungodly way. I'm the Holy Spirit. Don't take me to places. Don't take me and introduce me to things that are unholy. I don't want that. I don't like that. I become uncomfortable. I don't feel at home. What happens when you don't feel at home? Let me show you. Look at Galatians chapter 5, if you would. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and for those of you who are a little impatient, I'm almost finished. Please, please wait for a moment. Galatians 5, verse number 19, here's what the Bible says. Now the works of the flesh, works of the flesh, note that. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear and precise and straightforward statement. He's saying people who constantly practice these things give evidence or proof that the Holy Spirit of God does not, does not live in these bodies. These are the works of the flesh. The people who do these things, he says, these people who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't make it to heaven if that's your lifestyle. If those are the things you practice and enjoy and love doing, you're not going to make it to heaven because it bespeaks something and betrays something deeper. It says the Holy Spirit doesn't live here. Holy Spirit's not at home in my heart. Because I enjoy this. I enjoy watching adultery on television. I enjoy watching effeminate women get together and kiss each other on television. I love to see the, the mockery of God and His Word. I like to see people spit in religion's face. I, I love all that. Okay, my friend, that's fine. Go ahead and love it. But what he says is, I don't have the Holy Spirit. I love the works of the flesh. That's where I am. That's what I love. And I enjoy that garbage that comes out of that town. I love it. That's okay. Go right ahead. In fact, 
You better enjoy it. Because this is all the heaven you're going to see. This is all you'll see. But if when you see that stuff, no matter what it is, no matter how it comes, no matter how it's packaged, if you hear, see, or think it, and it troubles your heart, then read on to Galatians 5, verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit's work in a person and a person whose heart and life the Holy Spirit is at home in. He's comfortable there, and he's getting to accomplish his work. You meet unloving people, you met somebody, if they have been saved, you've met somebody where the Holy Spirit's not at home. He can't accomplish his work. He wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is love. If he's not getting to produce that, there's a reason. He doesn't feel at home there. And that's why you'll meet some people that the fruit of the Spirit is not a characteristic of their life. Reason, the Holy Spirit does not feel at home there. He's not comfortable there. He's not being yielded to. He's not being respected. He's not being acknowledged. He's not being bowed down to as God. People will say, well, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to do right, but sometimes I love to do wrong more. Well, the Holy Spirit's not happy at Kemper there. That's another thing. In this context, there's two verses. Verse number 16 at the top. Then I, This I say unto them. This is Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in verse number 25, he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The word walk in verse number 16 specifically is a, in the Greek a progressive present tense command. Literally, it carries this ideal of interpretation. Keep on continually walking. In the Spirit. What's that mean? That simply means this. That as a believer, my responsibility is to respond to and submit to the Holy Spirit moment by moment, hour by hour, and day by day. Everything about my life as a Christian, I should be moment by moment, day by day, yielded, submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. So that indeed, I am walking in the Spirit and I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Every person in this room who says they are born again and saved by the grace of God has an adversary in Satan himself. He wants to trip you up. He wants to stop you. And he will entice you. He will seduce you. He'll do everything in his power to keep you from allowing that to be fulfilled in your life. Here's the secret. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't pick up magazines. Don't watch programs. Don't do things that will encourage the feeding of the flesh. Feed the spirit. Where does he get his food? From God's holy word. Think on those things, Philippians 3 or 4, that says, Think on these things. They're pure and truth and holy and good and godly. Don't think on the garbage. Our problem is we ignore the Spirit and think what we want to think, and our lives then reflect the characteristics of who we're listening to. There's a couple other things, and I close with them. First off, if you don't do that, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30 says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The Greek word for grieve means cause pain. Cause pain. Did you know that God has commanded you as a believer not to cause pain to the Holy Spirit? You're not supposed to cause Him pain. You're not supposed to grieve Him. You're not supposed to, as it were, upset Him. By the way, the proof, again, that He is, He, the Holy Spirit, uh, is, in fact, a person, is the fact that He can be hurt. We can pain Him. We can cause him pain. And as a believer, every time you grieve him, you cause him pain. You're causing him, as it were, he came here to do a job, to do a work, and you're paining him. You're causing him heartache, as it were. And consequently, God himself, through inspiration of his word, says, do not pain the Holy Spirit. Don't you pain him. 
Don't you cause him pain. You cooperate with him. He's your guest. He's to be at home in your heart. You listen to what he says. You listen to the still small voice and you do exactly as he orders. There's also the passage Paul wrote to the Thessalonica people. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 19. And he says, quench not the spirit. Quench. When you think of quench, you think of thirst. You think of quenching a thirst. But let me tell you, what this passage is saying is there is a thirst that ought not be quenched. And that thirst that's spoken of here is a thirst for God, a thirst for things that are righteous, things that are good and wholesome and healthy. And this passage is saying it's the Holy Spirit who keeps that thirst alive and keeps the believer's heart on fire. And it is that you don't put out the fire of God so that the Holy Spirit continues to work His charm. There's one other passage or two other passages quickly. Let me read them and move on. Book of Hebrews says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Conversation means let your lifestyle. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, For he, God has said, The Lord Jesus Christ has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we could say, and say it boldly, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man do unto me. Listen to me carefully as I close. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you not only have the glorious promise of being with Christ throughout all eternity. You have that. You have that assurance. The scriptures give us that. But you also have the commitment of Christ that day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. When I read that, there were five words came to me right away. I love alliteration, and I thought of them quickly. Number one, it is clear what he said. You can't misunderstand that. He said, I'll never leave thee, I'll never forsake thee. That's clear, isn't it? It's not only clear, but it's certain. Why? Because God said it. God said it. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is absolutely certain. There's a third word came very quickly. It is comforting. It is comforting for me as a believer to know that I absolutely, absolutely unequivocally, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. You say, yeah, but preacher, you don't know what I did, buddy. If I could just get you alone in your office for 30 minutes, excuse me, I don't care what you did. He knows and he made a broad promise to every believer, bar none, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that, my beloved friend, includes you with all the mess you could bring to the table. And nothing surprises him. There's a fourth word, and it is a word content. Content, and that's even in the verse. You see, in verse number 13, or verse number 5 of verse 13, he says, uh, let your conversation or lifestyle be without covenants, and be content with such as you have. And then he says, because of, or in essence, because of, for he has said. What did he say? What did he say that should affect my contentedness? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What's that mean? That means I have everything he wants me to have, and if I don't have it, he can provide it because he is God. He is God. I don't have a need. I can stand before you this morning and tell you I don't know of a single need that I have that he has not supplied or is not supplying. He is so faithful. And I am content in that. There's another word. It is the word, verse 6, where he says, so that we may boldly say. After he has spoken, we can speak and we can do it boldly. And that word boldly carries another word for me, and that is the word confident. I can boldly say. I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And then that gives me a last word, and I guess I added this word last to the fact that I only thought I had five. I have six. And that last word is this, I can be calm. Calm because that verse says, because I'm not going to fear what man can do unto me. Why? Because he made a promise, I, God, through Christ, the Holy Spirit, is going to indwell me, and he'll never leave me nor forsake me, and therefore I don't have to be afraid of anybody. I don't have to fear anybody or anything. And the Bible is, is encouraging to that, and it does several things. We have several ladies in our church who are widowed ladies. Let me say to you something that you probably thought about, but let me just state it publicly. Aloneness is something a lot of people fear. But let me tell you something. 
If you know Christ, you're not alone. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he can be more real than any human being you have ever shaken hands with. And he is. And he is. But there's something else. David captured it in Psalm 23 and verse number 4. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why would he not fear facing death? Because of Hebrews 13 and verse 5. For thou art with me. That's a faithful friend. A fellow who will walk through you through the thick and the thin of everything you've got to walk through. How faithful God is to give us his Holy Spirit. Does he indwell your heart this morning? Is he in your life? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died where you sit this morning that you would go to heaven because Christ in you is the hope of glory, the certainty of heaven? Do you know that? Has there been a time when you realized you were a sinner and told God so? I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And as best I know how, I believe on Christ and His finished work right here, right now. Have you ever done that? If not, we give an invitation here at the New Life Baptist Church and it's with many purposes. One of them is this, to give you a chance to walk down this aisle and express your need. By the way, you won't be the first, and God willing, you won't be the last. But I remember as a boy, 11 years of age, walking down an aisle similar to this one and taking the preacher by the hand and him saying, Why don't you come? And I said, I want to go to heaven when I die, and I can't go now. <laughs> I can't go now. I think I was saying I'm 11 years old. You don't take people at 11. You have to wait you get a lot older than this. But when I do die, I want to go. And he said to me, he said, he'll receive you now. Let me get you someone to help. And he turned to my Sunday school teacher. was there on the front row, and he directed me. She took me in a room, opened up a Bible between the two of us, and showed me from that old well-worn Bible, again, what I had already been told. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And the Savior that's been provided for me didn't do half a job. He did a whole job. He finished what he came here to do. And by my simple childlike faith, believing his finished work, I could be saved and go to heaven and I believed him and I believed her when she spoke it in human terms and that day that hour I trusted Christ and I have never been the same I can make you a promise if you come this morning and trust Christ as your Savior you'll never be the same nobody ever met Jesus Christ embraced him and believed on him who was ever the same again he'll change you forever and I'll assure you It'll be the best changes your life have ever experienced. May God add his blessing to his word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. What a gracious gift he is to us. What a blessing you have given us in him. And this morning I pray that our awareness of his presence in our lives as justified people is real and certain and absolutely assured. And I pray that we'll not this week take him for granted or take him lightly. But rather this week we would be more cognizant and conscious of his work in our behalf. And the desire of his heart is to help us to be separated unto you, Father. And to make us more like you, to change us from glory to glory. And Father, I pray too that we'd also be fit vessels for service. And I pray that we'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit to that end. Please, I pray for our friends who may be here this morning who have never had a time in their life where they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, my heart goes out to them because as they are, I once was. And I know what it is to be lost and undone and disconnected from you. And Father, I also know what it is to be invited to come home. Come back to the one who loved me more than anything else in all the world. And proved it by giving up his own son to save me, a son. So, Father, I pray this morning, draw our friends to yourself and help them to know that this is not something to which we look down on with disdain. It's something we look down upon with great joy and gladness as a prodigal son who would come home to his father. We rejoice. And I pray for our friends who may need that this morning. I pray for believers here in this room who we often fail in that we take so much for granted all the blessings and benefits that come our way, even down to reading our Bibles 
and we understand a Bible truth and we do not stop to realize it's the Holy Spirit indwelling us that illuminates the Scriptures to our understanding. Father, I pray for us as believers this morning that we might realize how we have failed in appropriating His precious, wonderful work in our lives, acknowledging Him and submitting to Him and allowing Him to govern and control our activities. I pray this morning that you would help us as believers to acknowledge our failure and to address ourselves this week, to rise above that and beyond that, and to allow the Holy Spirit to do a wonderful work that He was given to us to do. And Father, for any other matter that the Holy Spirit has addressed in our hearts that's not even privy to me, I pray that you would bring people to make those decisions based on the judgment of your word this morning. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and help us to respect him as the third person of the Godhead and to depend upon him for the work he's been put within us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? 282 in your hymn book, if you need one. We sing the stanza the one of just as I am. If God has spoken to your heart this morning about your relationship to God, we invite you to come. If you come down this aisle, I'll be glad to meet you here and ask you a simple question. Why have you come? If you're coming to trust Christ as Savior, then I'll rejoice with you for one, but two, we'll direct you to someone who will take a Bible and you to a side room privately and show you and counsel you from God's Word so you can personally know for certain, for sure, based on God's Word, not your feelings, but God's facts, that you're going to heaven when you die. And that can be settled this morning. If you need to come for other matters, we'll be glad to address them as they are. And I hope this morning that you'll simply make up your mind, I'm going to obey the Lord. What He's said to me, I'm going to do. doesn't matter what folks think, what other folks feel. I'm going to do what's right. And the right thing to do is come into a right relationship with God. He's done all He's going to do. It's up to you now to accept what He's done is enough and believe Him and trust Him. So I hope you will. 282 verse 1. Let's sing and you obey the Lord. Together. Just as I am. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? You've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you come? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? Let's sing verse 2 before we close. Verse number 2. Would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? Thank you so much for your time and your attention and your presence here this morning. I appreciate it so very much. Thank you for staying with us, and thank you for your patience while we preach. And I ask you, if you can, come back to be with us for the evening service. We'll be in the Old Testament preaching about a man who made a difference. And believe me, uh, with all of my heart, I want us to make a difference in New Life Baptist Church. I don't want us just to take up space. and I don't want us just breathe oxygen. I want us to make a difference. If Jesus Christ is real, and he is, and there is a heaven and hell, and there is, then you and I ought to be the most aggressive, active people in all the world to point men, women, boys, and girls to our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll come back and share with us for the evening service at 6 o'clock tonight. Don't forget, nursing home at 2, pray for them if you don't go, please. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for the Holy Scriptures and the privilege we have to hold them, handle them, read them, study them, meditate on them, and then set out to obey them. Thank you for our Sunday school teachers who this morning have opened the scriptures to our classes and have taught them and spoken them in authority in a way whereby we can take up the mantle of responsibility to obey them and see our lives changed and transformed in their likeness. I pray now you'll bless your word as it's gone forth here in the worship service. We know that your word does not return unto you void, and we're confident that this too, the message this morning, though feebly presented, will bring forth the fruit that you've ordained for this hour. We trust you with it. It was not our word, it's yours. And we know that you do all things well, including the blessing of the Word of God. 
I again thank you as a pastor of the church for the Holy Spirit and the way he's blessed and worked in our lives, illumined the scriptures to each of us and uh, teaches us as he does and guides us in our decisions, fills us and controls us for your glory. Oh, what a wonderful friend he is. Help us, I pray this week, to be more conscious of his presence. Everywhere we go, everything we watch, everything we say, everything we do, may he govern it and guide it. And by so doing, may the fruit of the Spirit be evidenced and produced in our life in great quantity. Help him to be at home in our hearts. Help us to make sure that his accommodations in us are appropriate and are holy. Now guide us as we go. Thank you for our members again and their faithfulness. Please give them a good and refreshing afternoon. And bless our visitors and our guests this morning. Thank you so very much for their coming. And help them to know they're welcome here anytime. Guide us now in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You're dismissed. Bye.